We are uh, picking up in Romans chapter 15. We've been making our way through this study uh, during the school year, and at least in, in my Bible, we're uh, up to the last couple pages now. Today we're going to be looking at Romans 15, uh, 14 to 33, to the end of the chapter. And it's, you can check that out in your pew Bible, or it'll be up on the screen behind me. So Romans 15. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have pro fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, every, every 50 years, there is a big shakeup in culture. So those of us that were sort of, that maybe were paying attention, historians and students of the culture and that sort of thing, they saw the last couple of years coming. I mean, think back, to, uh, think back to the 60s and then like 
you know, the, the 20s before that, and even the 1860s, and I'll talk about that. But right now, there is a shakeup. There's a shakeup in culture. There's a shakeup in the church. I attended a, a seminar a few weeks ago um, from a professor from Wheaton College, and he was, t- he was tracing this through, and this has been written about wisely. I mean, only the, only the history books will, will write about, you know, the time that we're living in. But there are people today who are helping the church to move through the time that we're in. Some people say it's a time of pruning, like in John 15, where God is pruning back the church for further growth. Some people say it's a shaking up and it's a stirring of the church, which always happens before growth and renewal. But things are, things are happening um, and there's people, there's wise people that see that now. People um, like Mark Sayers and Beth Moore and Tim Keller and Esau McCulley and Jackie Hill Perry and Russell Moore. And these leaders are helping us to be fruitful and to be faithful. To be faithful when it seems like things are being shaken up. To get us out of this mentality of being, you know, a, a, a Christian in name only. A Christian that's not following Jesus in a, daily, in a daily way. Think back to the 1960s, and there was a massive shakeup in the culture. And yet, out of that came what they called the Jesus people. And there was uh, renewal movements. Chuck Smith, uh, down in Los Angeles, he's reached out to, to those hippies and to that generation. And many, many, many of them came to faith and grew the church and, and stayed faithful and, and walked with Christ. In the, the Roaring Twenties, I mean, we look back and we think about the Jazz Age and, you know, uh, the, the fall of prohibition and, and partying and dancing and wild living and all these sorts of things. And yet then there was Billy Sunday, this evangelist who traveled all over and shared the gospel and saw people come to faith. And, and he inspired Billy Graham to go and do what he did for 50, 60 years. And then 60 years before that, back in the 1860s, there was a youth pastor in a Reformed church. Does this sound familiar to anyone? A youth pastor in a Reformed church named Jeremiah Lamphere, who started gathering people together every Wednesday at noon to pray. And what I love about this story, because, I mean, this part has happened to me a few times. You plan a big thing, you get excited, you pray, you invite people, nobody shows up. Nobody showed up. I think one person showed up like a half an hour late to that first prayer meeting. But then the next week he brought some friends. So there was four people. Then the week after that there was like 12. And a year later there was tens of thousands of people praying every Wednesday at noon, not just on Fulton Street in New York City where this started, but all over the country and all over the world. And there's always this stirring up. So what does it mean? You know, Paul, I I really want to focus on uh, verse 21 where Paul, you know, talks about um, his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Well, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to preach the gospel right here and now? To find those places. To, uh, to follow the invitation of the Holy Spirit 
out of our comfort zones and out to share the faith. So this morning I want to look at Paul's mission and what he did and then our mission. What is your mission if you're a follower of Jesus? What is the point of life? Why are we doing all of this? It's to preach the gospel, you know, right here and now, in our words, you know, by inviting people to follow Jesus, to stop trusting in wealth or idols or success or any other identity and trust in Jesus. And to, to, to live out the gospel, to preach, not just preach the gospel, but to live it out in our actions. You know, not angry, not overly political, not judgmental, not emotionally stunted, but joyful, healthy. When you truly have that connection with Christ and he's a part of your daily life, it is a life of joy and peace. So let's look at Paul's mission and our mission. So Paul says in verse 14 that he, he desired, when he went to Rome, his purpose there was to raise up disciples that were able to teach one another. You know, so Paul went to this place. He went to this hub of the whole known world. He went to Rome and he preached. And the Holy Spirit called people. The Spirit brought people to faith. And they formed into these, this church, this, you know, house church. And they, they gathered in these different homes. And then Paul discipled them. How do you work the gospel into all of your life? Like leaven working its way through dough. And he answered their questions and he taught them. He taught them from the Old Testament. He taught them from what Jesus had taught him in these visions and times with him in the desert. And then, what did he do? He left. He left. He took off because he had somewhere else to go. He had other people that he wanted to reach. And that's actually what Jesus did too. The disciples must have been so afraid and so intimidated. But go and read John 15 to 17. He promises, I'm going to leave, you guys. I'm going to take off, but I'm sending you my spirit, my presence that's going to be with you always. And then the Holy Spirit took these 11 men, these simple men, these fishermen and tax collectors, and totally changed the world when they received the Holy Spirit. Jesus' Spirit was with them. And today, there's two billion Christians. 2,000 years later, there's two billion followers of Jesus all over the world because Paul left, because Jesus left. And, but think about this idea. Think about this. Consider this question. You know, do you feel like do you feel like all of these things that Paul's saying about that church? Do you feel full of goodness? Do you feel complete in knowledge? Do you feel competent to instruct one another? In, um, in Mark Sayers' book, The Reappearing Church, he says that the average cult, <laughs> the average cult is better at doing this than the average church. And he tells a story about this guy who was a communist, so it's the 1950s, this guy's a communist, he's in London, it's kind of the underground in London, and he's being trained, 
you know, to communicate the message of communism. Well, he sees, he sees it for what it is. He leaves that life and he becomes a Christian. And then he's sitting in a church pew listening to a guy blabber on for half an hour every Sunday. And he's thinking, wait a minute here. When, when, when am I going to share this with someone? Uh, you know, I got trained so well with the communist group, but now that I've actually found life, the real life, the life that's truly life, I'm not even being trained to tell people about it. The communist meetings were more intentional than church services or Bible studies. And what if I called on one of you? What if at, you know, 1050, I was like, hey, I'm not feeling it this morning. You're going to have to preach for me. Here's the 10 verses. What would you do? What would you do? You'd start praying. That's what you'd do. But I also think about when Pastor Hayes retired and Pastor Rogers, Roger had his stroke, you guys all stepped up. And people did come and preach. People that hadn't been to seminary, people that hadn't been trained, they realized that they could preach, that they could look at the scriptures, that they could pray over them, that they could study, that they could learn, that they could communicate. So I know that we are like this church in Rome. And it's not, just, it's not just in church, it's in your workplaces, it's in your homes. When your kids ask you, what do we really believe? It's in your, it's in your offices. When people ask you, do you go to church? What do you believe about God? What is this Jesus stuff? What do you believe about all these issues? Paul raised up disciples that were able to teach one another. Second, Second, he gave, these, he gave these bold reminders. He says in verse 15, you know, I've had to be bold with you guys. I've had to make my point strongly because of the grace of God. And what he's referring to is he's talking about the stuff that we discussed last week. He's talking about, you know, these controversies within the church. What day should we worship, Saturday or Sunday? Are we allowed to have a glass of wine here and there or not? Are we allowed to eat meat sacrificed to idols or should we not? All these sort of issues. And he's saying, I've been bold with you because of the good news of Jesus. Remember? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In all things, love. So we work, we work the way of Jesus into all of our life every area. Our time belongs to him. Our money belongs to him. Our career belongs to him. Our retirement years belong to him. Our families belong to him. And we can be, we can be bold because the gospel is so good. We can be bold. It's such good news. <laughs> You know, every, every week I get these opportunities as God brings people to our church to share with them, to share with them that we can't earn our way to heaven. That's good news, that Jesus has already done it for us. You know, that it's not, it's not a scale of how much good you've done or how much bad you've done, but all those systems, all that religious thinking, Jesus did away with it. And on Christmas, Jesus was born 
to this world. And he lived a perfect life. Perfect life. He was loved by everyone. He was loved by the prostitutes and the sinners and the outcasts. And on Good Friday, he went to the cross as a sacrifice, as a substitute for me and for you. He took our place on the cross. And on Easter, he rose again. He rose again. He won a victory. He defeated death and sin. So we don't have to be trapped. We don't have to feel that things can never change. Jesus has taken our place. And he's won that victory. And so then, when we are united around that, when we are united about who Jesus is as the Savior, there's liberty. There's charity. We can be bold. We can challenge each other. That's what real community is. We can actually be vulnerable with each other. Like the, the prayer that Andrea led us in. We don't have to hide anymore. We can be honest with one another and have real relationships. We can be bold. Third, Paul says that he wants to bring people of all backgrounds to faith. All backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles. He wants to bring them to faith and obedience. And what he's doing there is simply living out the words of Matthew 28, the last words that Jesus shared. Go, therefore, and baptize people from all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. People of all backgrounds. And what, what methods did Paul use to communicate this truth, to bring people of all different races and previous experiences together? He kind of used it all. I mean, he, he talks about word and deed. So it's not just being in here. It's not just listening to the, the Bible. It's not just reading the Bible, as important as that is. But it's working it out. Doing justice. Loving mercy. Walking humbly with God. I think about the, you know, the rescue missions in our city that bring people in and they share hope. But they also, they reach out to the homeless, to the marginalized, because it's word and deed. And it's signs and wonders. You know, the wonderful things that God does, the surprising things that God does in our lives. The things that people would say, it's a coincidence, or how did that happen, or that's surprising. But we know it's God orchestrating things and working behind the scenes. That was one of the tools in Paul's tool belt also. And he also says it's by the power of the Spirit of God. By the power of the Spirit of God. By the, by the dynamite of the Spirit of God. I was sharing with someone recently about, uh, you know, about these Muslims in Europe that are coming to faith. And we, I'll share later about the, the movie that we watched on Friday too. Uh, and the person said, wow, what a miracle that somebody who's Muslim, who's from another faith, would, would come to God, would believe in Jesus as the Messiah, you know? And that is true. It's absolutely true. But it's no less a miracle that I'm a Christian, 
or that you're a Christian. Because none of us opened our own eyes. None of us earned our way. None of us, you know, earned, and, earned God's grace. We love because he first loves us. And he opens our eyes. He, Paul was so desperate to bring, to bring Jews and Gentiles together and to reach so many people that he traveled thousands of miles. Thousands of miles. That little, that little reference from um, Jerusalem to... It's, it's modern-day Croatia. And I, I did the search for you. It's 2,000 miles. Over 2,000. Can you imagine traveling 2,000 miles in the ancient world? Some of it was by boat, but probably most of it was by foot. So do you want to go on foot to Chicago? That's how far he went. From Croatia and Slovenia and Slovakia, way up there, way down to Jerusalem, because he was so driven. I would walk 500 miles. And, yeah, he did that times four. And if you read the other books that he wrote, the other letters that he wrote, these were not safe journeys. He faced death again and again. And, you know, it wasn't a fun or easy uh, voyage. He didn't have a private jet like some of those preachers today. He traveled by foot and by boat so that people could hear about Jesus, so that they could know his love. That was his mission in life. But what does it mean what does it mean for us? <laughs> you know, how, how can we participate in this? How can we uh, share hope with people? Maybe even people that haven't heard. This is, this is one of the issues of our world today, right? Is that people, there's already a foundation. And you hear from people all the time that think they know what the gospel's all about. That think they know who Jesus is. Or they look at, you know, some, some Christian or so-called Christian in their family that's totally turned them off from, from it. And they see badly behaving Christians in the news or on television or online, and they say, I don't want any part of that. And that's a struggle we have to face. We have to, we have to in this day and age, show a different way. A way that's different from the Pharisees and from religious people. A way that looks down on other people. And a way that's different from our culture. Because our culture is hurting. And our culture is, uh, is searching for things. I can name so many things. <laughs> and, you know, wrestling with all of this and thinking about our world. But I can't help. Can I tell you another soccer story? two weeks in a row. I can't help but think, and I'll try to keep it together here. I can't help but think, so soccer is doing a big campaign, anti-racism campaign, and it's the, the whole campaign is what's wrong is wrong. And it's amazing, because we all agree on that, and Christians agree on that, right? Like, J Paul was trying to reach every tongue, tribe, and nation, and, and people from all over the world and every background are gonna be worshiping Jesus. So Christians can actually take the lead in fighting racism. And when, you know, if a, if a black player does something bad, he gets all kinds of abuse online. It's terrible. It's horrible. And we can all agree that that's wrong. But then we have a whole other part of our culture saying that to kill a baby in the womb is not wrong. Why should we trust you on that? 
And how can you say what's right or what's wrong without God, without some sort of a standard? So there are ways that, we, that the culture is pointing toward God and opening up doors for the scripture. And there's other parts where they are so dead wrong and so ungodly and so unchristian. We have to come to God and to the scriptures and look at what they really teach for how we're supposed to live. What is our mission in life? To share Christ with a world that's in need of grace, that's in need of truth, that's in need of hope. So what are ways that we can do that in this world that's, that's looking for hope? We can, we can financially support missionaries like we do through our church, through Resonate, through all these things. We can take the gospel to places where people have never heard about Jesus. We, um, we watched this movie on Friday night, and one of the guys in the film said that the, the best place in the world to reach Muslim people is in Athens because they're coming there, and they have to start over. They're coming from these places. They're desperate to get into Europe and to start a new life. And the mission organizations, they tell us that three billion people out of eight billion that live today have never been told of Jesus. So that's the reality of verse 21. That's the reality that Paul lived in, but it's 2,000 years later, and it's never been explained to them. And we can think like, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of money, but do you know how far $5 goes in the developing world? You know, we can say, oh, there's so many needs in our own backyard, but, but people here have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. They can come to any church. There's a guy that's, um, that's doing some repairs for us in our kitchen, and he's trying to raise money to be a missionary again. That's his life calling. He, he's trying to raise money to buy a boat because he wants to go back to Papua New Guinea. And when he was explaining this to his family like 20 years ago, they were like, can't you just go be a missionary in Philadelphia? And he said, well, there's a church every couple blocks in Philadelphia. If you go to Papua New Guinea and these backwater places, they've literally never heard about Jesus. And he's a great contractor if you need any work done. So I'll give you Jim's number, and you can, uh, he can fix up some stuff for you, and you can empower him to go build a foundation where none is laid. But there's also children and refugees right here in Portland that have never heard the name of Jesus. You know, most of us probably learned about Christ from our parents. And yet, if you didn't have that, if you didn't have parents or grandparents, who's going to tell you? about a God that loves you so much that he would die for you. What's, what's your mission in life? What's your calling? You know, if, if we're followers of Jesus, it's to be a disciple, to be a disciple who makes disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And the best part is that Jesus is with us. He's with us always. He promised to never 
leave us as we do this work. And our imagination, our imagination is always going to be captured by something, by some dream, by something that we're chasing, by some goal. But so much of the dreams that we dream, so much of the things that are pumped into our head or that people tell us we should go after, so much of it is a mirage. It's a mirage. And even if you get there, even if you get to the mountaintop, even if you get the perfect job or the perfect house or the perfect family, it won't be enough. Because you were made to have a relationship with your Creator. And when we live for Him, we find that joy. I'm captured. I'm captured by that vision. <laughs> by the vision that Jesus loves me. Yes, I, yes, I know. For the Bible tells me so. I'm captured by that idea that Jesus came and died for me and that He's working in me. And He's working in you to renew us and to give us a purpose for our lives that gets us out of bed every morning. Um, a purpose that fills our heart with love. A purpose that sends us out to live for him. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your, your word and your spirit that guides us. Thank you that you have given us a purpose and a calling for life. God, help us to suss through all the, all the, um, the foundations, the false foundations. God, if we're in this place where we're kind of uh, bemoaning Christianity or doubting or questioning or reveal the truth to us, you know, that even if, the, even if the church is filled with people that aren't perfect, we worship a perfect God. Holy Spirit, renew us and refresh us in this season of life. Help us to rebuild the habits of our salvation. That time with you, that um, sharing of our faith prayer and scripture and community, doing justice. Lord, work in us. Thank you for modern day Pauls that take the scripture where there's no foundation and help us to do our part, Lord, whatever that means, to get the good word out so that people can find hope and peace. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.